calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hi, welcome to Conference Live, CFA Institute's live coverage of its 71st annual conference here in Hong Kong. I'm Jason Voss, Content Director for CFA Institute, and joining us in stu uh, studio is Pico Iyer. Uh, Pico, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Let me give a few biographical details. Um, we're going to be speaking about the art of stillness, mm -hmm. one of your favorite subjects. Yes. But among other things, um, you've also written several books, including Lady and the Monk and the Global Soul. Yes. And by the way, we share an interest in global travel. I love global travel. Uh -huh. You've given multiple TED Talks, yes. and probably uh, to keep the bio short, I'll just uh, emphasize for the audience: you write for the New York Review of Books, the Financial Times, and the New York Times as well, among other That's other right. publications. Exactly. Well, so this art of stillness, what does it mean to you? Uh, tell us a little bit about it, and why do you believe it's important? I think it means for me just stopping, stepping back, collecting yourself, and really remembering what is most important to you. So stillness for me is a shorthand for kind of catching your breath and stepping out of this accelerating bombardment that's kind of burying all of us in terms of information overload uh, so that you know better what you care about and where to go in the rest of your life. All right. How did you get started in an art of stillness? And do, and do you consider yourself an artist? <laughs> I'm not an artist. Yeah. I only got started in it by moving too much because yeah. I'm sort of a travel writer, so I live in airports, and by getting dizzy, I would think, and realizing that um, the ratio of experience to reflection, more things were coming in on me than I was able to process. And I sometimes notice I have more and more uh, time-saving devices in my life, but less and less time. So I thought, well, I need to do something to redress this imbalance. Right. Uh, and so, although I don't have a formal meditation practice, I thought, well, I need to open up space in my head and space in my day just uh, to be able to do justice to all the stuff that's coming in on me. So talk to us about the art of stillness, or a stillness mm -hmm. practice, I'll call it, with your yes. permission. What's it entail, um, and how much time do you recommend people dedicate to stillness, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, no, I, I love that word practice. That's exactly the right one. And I think many people I admire do have a formal meditation practice where they do yoga or tai chi or qigong. I'm one of those people who hasn't quite worked up to that yet. Yeah. But I do certain things. I take two long walks every day. I try to spend an hour reading, so I just go onto my balcony with a cup of tea and read a serious book. When I finish that, I can feel that I'm much richer than I was before. I, I go to the health club every day. So just ways of taking myself out away from my desk and away from the swarm sure. of distraction and, uh, and information so as to um, be able to process them. And I think as a writer, one thing I noticed is that most of my best work takes place when I'm away from my desk. There's certain things I can only do when I'm surrounded by my data. But other things, like thinking outside the envelope, I can only do when I'm far away sure. from it. So it's about separating myself away from the minutiae to see the wood from the trees, I suppose. Yeah, of course. And I, I, it sounds like when you are engaged in that stillness, other things are happening. So you may go for a walk, but it sounds like a certain mm, magic yes. maybe is happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, just, oh, yes, I think one's open to, to hearing... Uh, Yes, open to the magic or the wisdom of the world. Yeah. Um, that when I'm at my desk, all I'm hearing is my own mind chattering. 
when I'm taking a walk, I'm listening to all kinds of things, and there's space in my head for something wiser than me to, to speak through me. Right. Um, but I think if you're doing nothing at all, that's a blessing, too, because all of us are in this state of acceleration whereby we're hurrying so much we can't see what a hurry how much we're hurrying. Right, sure. And then we're out of breath at the end of the day, and the more we do, the more we seem to be falling behind. So something is going wrong, I think, and we have to break that vicious cycle. Right. Uh, by stepping away from it, maybe. So I know from my own interest in the subject uh, that many of science's great discoveries, right, Einstein's discovery supposedly of relativity, came from these kinds of moments of stillness. I wonder if you have, from your own life, a particularly like uh, memorable moment that's happened in here, like an inspiration for a new book idea or something of those that nature. Certainly. Um, every time I finish a book, I wait for a year before sending it to the publisher. And I don't work on it for that year. But just as you say, I'll take walks, I'll play tennis, I'll go to see movies. And I'm confident many times in the course of that year, suddenly I'll think, why don't I change the structure of the book? Why don't I come up with a different title? Yeah. Those are the kind of changes I could never make when I'm pouring over my desk. Another experience I had was to lose everything I own in a forest fire. And the day after the forest fire, when I owned nothing, I wasn't necessarily poorer. And in some ways, I was liberated. Right, sure. Um, and so. Often, um, yes, I think we all know inspiration comes in unexpected ways and in the most surprising times. Uh, and yes, and that as long as we're staring at a screen, we can't really see the larger picture. Sure. I think that's partly what stillness means for me, which is stepping back from the world and one's life so you can see its larger contours and priorities. Yeah, I like the way you describe that. Um, from since this is an investment conference for my own investment management career, that stillness was very much a part of uh, my own work routine. So I, I was fairly successful as an investment manager, and I thought one of the keys to that success was I listened to music, right, which was for me very calming and, and stilling. And I would take time at the end of each day to sort of contemplate the day and what had occurred and try and connect dots and see things in a different way, uh, which was a, a form of this stillness practice that I hear you describing. Exactly, and I think some people take go for a run every day or play golf or sail or cook and those are all ways as you say ultimately they're, they're helping what we're doing officially yeah uh, and I'm sure that part of what you were doing as an investor was not just staring at the numbers but by not looking at the numbers that's where you would come up with yeah you nailed strategies. it you nailed it that was exactly the case so uh, is there scientific evidence of this stillness and what it, what it can uh, do for people beneficially there really is in the last 20 years scientists have been conducting many experiments on meditators and monks. And so empirically they found how it increases the capacity to process information, it increases kindness, and it increases concentration. So it's not something to do with religion and it's not something just the airy-fairy. It's just like we go to the gym every day to extend our lives, to make sure our limbs are not going to get arthritis, and right. make sure we're breathing better. And this is just the mental equivalent. It's, it's a weight training of the mind, I think. Sure. Have, has there been anything, to your knowledge, and I, I, I know I know the space fairly well as well, to your knowledge, is there any scientific evidence that there are negative effects, or maybe anecdotally, sometimes do you get spacey, or I know that sometimes that's a concern for people about, yes. about a stillness practice. A rightless, right, rightful concern. Scientifically, I think there aren't any, but anecdotally, yes. So I go every season for three days on retreat, 
and when I'm in my little room, half the time it's radiant, and half the time it's terrifying. Right. You know, it's raining, I can't see anything else, it's scary. Yeah. But I think if scary things come up, I'd much rather they come up in that safe environment than when I'm driving on the freeway in a traffic jam. Sure. Or when I'm talking to my wife and she has to become the victim of that. <laughs> so given that we all have things we have to deal with or don't want to deal with, better to do it in a place of calm than be caught, ambushed by it or caught unexpectedly. But, sure, of course. Um, yeah. So my final question for you, um, in this moment, right, as we look uh, through this giant room that we're in right here, most people or many people are on their mobile phones. Yes. Uh, why don't more people understand the importance of stillness? Um, do you have a, a thought about that? Are they afraid of it? They forgot about it? It wasn't taught to them? I mean, you have any thoughts? I think we get into this sensation that we need to be plugged in all the time to do our jobs, to keep in touch with our kids, to know what's happening in the world. And actually, after a point, there's a point of diminishing returns, right. we're actually further and more disconnected the more we are. So it's just a matter of, we have so little time, we can't see how little time we have, and it's just breaking that, that counterproductive cycle. And you're right, you know, every time I go on retreat for 72 hours, a part of me thinks, oh, there are going to be 600 emails waiting for me, my boss is going to be angry, etc. But of course, once I go online, nobody's really missed me. <laughs> um, there's nothing that couldn't have waited. If right. it was a real emergency, they could have found me there. So I think it's mostly in our head, and that's a, a positive thing because um, because we can change the way we look at things. And I, I never think that the problem is in our devices because technology has made our lives so much better. Sure. The problem is just that we don't know how to make the best use of our devices, and we'll only find how to make good use of it by stepping away from them and taking a deep breath and what do I really want to use this phone for? How am I going to maximize the good stuff it brings me and minimize the sure. many ways in which it's cutting into my attention and making me fidgety? Yeah. Um, so I understand all those apprehensions, but um, I think our deeper apprehension should be that we're losing sight of what's important. Right. And that when a crisis comes, we can't put our hands on what is essential because there's so much other stuff in our heads, in our diaries, and on our desks. So, though I said that was my last question, um, I wonder if you would indulge me. So, yes, those are it. Um, you're an author. Are you working on another book? Uh, yes, I have uh, two books coming out next year on Japan. And, you know, in relation to what we've been talking about, when I was in my 20s, I was working in the Time magazine in New York City. Very accelerated job, 25th floor office, all of that kind sure, of Sure, I know where the building is. Yes, yes. Um, right across from Radio City Music, yep. old-time life building, and traveling around the world. So very exciting. But I felt that something was missing from my life, so I went straight from Time magazine to a monastery in Kyoto to make sure that I wasn't out of balance. Right. Um, and so I went to Japan because it's an unusually quiet and contemplative place, and Kyoto has 2,000 temples in a single city. So I thought um, Times Square is giving me all the stimulation anybody could want and excitement, but uh, I can't do justice to that stimulation unless I have something else in my life. That in some ways, you can't be moved unless you're sitting still, so I thought I'd better just sit still for a while. Right. Um, so. These books about Japan implicitly will also be about my unplugging myself from um, this uh, Ferris wheel. Right, and probably I'm guessing there's material in there about how you discovered J Japan and sort of yes. like were seduced by uh, uh, the magic of Japan, really, yeah. Exactly, and even though I'm a full-time journalist, I've never used a cell phone. I live, and my and my wife are in a rented two-room apartment. We have no TV, I understand, no car, no bicycle. And it's amazing, every day lasts about a thousand hours. Right, yeah. And it's, it seems really the ultimate luxury that when I wake up, I don't feel pressed for time. I'm not, I take off my watch, I don't need to know what the time is. And um, I feel I can 
work for eight hours, take these walks, hang out with my wife, go and play ping pong, and still have six hours free, which I never felt when I was in New York City. Well, thank you so much for coming by. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to shake your hand. Yes, Thanks so thank much. Thank you so much for your wonderful questions. Uh, yes, you're welcome. Uh, and thank you very much for joining this session. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.